you would please rise for the scripture lesson today. You know, I didn't know what this was going to be until this morning, and I was very pleased to see like three sentences. <laughs> it was very nice. Um, we're going to be reading Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the word of the Lord. In a couple of weeks, if you're reading scripture again, you may not be so excited because it's going to get much longer as we go forward. But it is uh, an honor to be here with you this morning. It is a privilege uh, to look forward to the next several months or whatever the season is that God calls us to be together. I look forward to serving with you, serving you, serving alongside you. Uh, in this stage of transition that you are in. Let me just give you a little uh, qualification. I'm, I won't be sitting on a stool every week. Uh, I just happened to come down with a serious head cold midweek. Uh, to put you at ease, it's not COVID. I was negative. Um, but it still uh, is uh, still with me. And so uh, I am heavily drugged up currently on elderberries, zinc, echinacea, mucinex, and Hall's cough drops. And so I'm going to sit here. Uh, because I've noticed this week that when I stand, I'm much more likely to have a coughing spell. Hopefully that's not going to happen. And I have actually many people at home specifically praying that I don't have a coughing spell. That's what my prayer is this morning. If that doesn't happen, uh, I am hoping that uh, this might be a profitable, fruitful time. At the end of the day, uh, it, is, uh, it is a privilege to be here. My wife uh, sends her greetings. She will be here at some point in October for an extended weekend. You'll have a chance to meet her this morning. She is actually driving back from Boston. Uh, she just dropped off my youngest son at Boston College, and he is starting his uh, second year as a nursing student there. But you will have an opportunity to meet her uh, in October, and uh, you, will, you will find out the more you get to know me and when you meet her that Walt got his very gregarious generous, kind personality, outgoing personality from his mom, not from me, his father. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm not mean, I don't think I'm mean, but uh, I am not the gregarious, outgoing uh, one personality that my wife is. She is a lovely human being, and I look forward uh, for you to meet her uh, when she gets here. Um, two other quick things. Um, uh, I, uh, I am not a, just, just in case you've, you've read the, the message on Slack this morning, I'm not a furniture destroyer. Um, so if you've already been on Slack, you've s you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it yet, you will know that later. And, um, and secondly, uh, I, I just want to respond to, uh, there was a letter I think that Sam put together um, introducing me to you, the congregation. And uh, I just want to make one response uh, in to that letter. Uh, he, he referred to uh, my college, uh, Tennessee. We, we actually won a national championship many, many years ago. Um, and he, he said something to the effect of he has now endured, uh, uh, I, I can't remember exactly the words because I, I, once I read it, I put it down, never want to see it again, endured years of disappointment at the hands of the greatest superpower of football of all times. The only thing I'll say at, in response to that now 
is that that would have had a lot more impact and been a lot more impactful had it come from an actual alumnus of the university uh, of, of which he spoke and not simply a bandwagon fan. Uh, that's all we'll say for now. So, uh-oh, we do have a, do we have a, uh, a tide? Okay. Um, so here we are um, as we start a sermon series looking at the book of Genesis. And um, you might ask, why Genesis? And it's a good question. Just starting my clock here just to keep me on track. Uh, first of all, uh, your, your session uh, suggested that I consider a book from the Old Testament. Um, I guess Matt had just finished preaching out of the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And so I wanted to give uh, consideration to an Old Testament book. And then I actually looked through uh, the sermon series that Matt had preached while he was here. And I didn't want to repeat anything that he had already preached through. And um, so Genesis, at least the first part that we'll be looking at this fall, Genesis 1 to 12, uh, had not been preached yet here at Res Press. And so that is, that is one reason, but actually there, it's, it's more than just that. Uh, as most of you are probably, I'm assuming, aware, Genesis is part of actually a five-work volume, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, that Moses put together uh, collectively given by God as revelation to God's people as they were about to enter the land that God had promised them. As you recall, the Israelites had been in bondage, oppressed, enslaved by the superpower of the day, the Egyptians, for 400 years. And prior to that, God had made a promise that one day he was going to bless their forefather, Abraham, and his descendants, and make them a nation, give them a land, so that they might be a blessing to all the other nations in the earth, on the earth. Now, as you can imagine, 400 years of bondage has a way of taking its toll on a people's ability to hold on to such a promise. And so the Pentateuch, the first five books of which Genesis is the first volume, was written as a type of constitution for God's Older Testament people. God is now making good on his promise. He's taking them to a land where they might live out in community as a people of faith before the watching world what life looked like under the reign of Yahweh. In Exodus 19 the second book of this five-volume set, we read this. The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In that passage, Yahweh is bestowing an amazing promise and blessing on his people. God tells them, all the earth is mine. 
All of it. All peoples. But simultaneously, you will be my treasured possession. And you will have a role to play and a calling in this earth. You will be a kingdom of priests. In other words, Israel was called to be the mediators of the knowledge of the one true God to all the other peoples of the world. You see, when God brought his people out of slavery and called him into this new land of promise, he, he wasn't sending them into a private, secluded commune somewhere to be a cult cut off from the rest of the world. The land he gave them was actually very strategic in, that, in the ancient Near Eastern world. The land that we now call Palestine was the crossroads of all the major political and economic powers and players of the day. Caravans would have to come right through the area to exchange ideas and commerce. All this between the Egyptians and the Ethiopians to the south and the people of the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the people of the Mesopotamia region to the northeast across the crescent, the Fertile Crescent. And so Genesis is the first volume that is given to God's people who are at a place of a new beginning. It was a time of considerable transition for God's people. There were new wonderings. <laughs> what will happen in this next season? How will we survive and continue to flourish without the leader that has brought us to this point? Moses was not going with them any further. There were a lot of new questions, concerns, a lot of unknowns in that transitional period of the people of God. But in the midst of all the uncertainty that God's people faced, God reminded his people that they were his treasured possession, that he remained their God. That had not changed, and that he called them to continue to be, to go in and to be the people and community whereby their neighboring peoples would find blessing and even come to know the one true God. Does any of that sound familiar? <laughs> it's actually not too dissimilar from where Rez Prez is right now. Kind of a new beginning Certainly new wonderings, questions, uncertainties. How will things go? Having to say goodbye to the leader that has brought you this far. Questions about what comes next. And yet, your call remains in place. To live as a faithful people of God and to be a blessing to your neighbors of Madison. To continue to be guided by your vision statement to be a community that is finding life through the gospel of Jesus in order to love God and neighbor and bless our city. And as you are doing that, you must constantly remind yourselves that God's faithfulness and commitment to you remains. As Israel was, so you remain his treasured possession. That is the foundational truth that is based on God's promise and oath and a truth that doesn't change with circumstances or temporal 
circumstances, events. And so, for Moses, his instructions to God's people at this point in time, time of transition, was to remind them of where they had come from. He takes them all the way back to the very beginning of material things. This is how he starts. For Moses, it was important to include in the constitution of God's people a history and a narration of all the events from the moment the very first atoms of matter were unleashed into a newly created physical world all the way up until their very day. And so for these reasons, all of these, it seemed appropriate to choose a sermon series of the very first volume of the constitution of a people of whom you are the spiritual descendants. An ancestor to you who faced a similar challenging time. So here we go. But before we do, let me just first of all put you at ease. I'm aware of the time, the clock. I needed to make that introduction to the whole sermon series. I need to introduce myself. So I am aware of the clock, just to put you at ease. And that's why it was only two verses in the sermon this morning. But here we go. Genesis 1. With that background, Moses starts by saying simply, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a lot in one verse. In English, it's seven words. And yet, it is not exaggerating to say the most consequential <laughs> and significant event in the history of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew terminology, the heavens and the earth Simply, simply a way of saying everything out there that you can possibly imagine. The heavens and the earth. Everything. God created it. But notice what's missing right here at the beginning. See, there's no introduction. Moses doesn't start with an introduction or an apologetic for the existence of God. We're simply told of his work, his first act in history. His existence is merely assumed. At the beginning of time and matter and life itself, God was. Now, here's a place we could camp out and engage in some apologetics and the existence of God, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> There's a time and place for that, but it's not here. Moses was writing, see, to a people who had already had faith in Yahweh, their God. The text doesn't engage in apologetics, so we won't either. However, as the one who has the microphone, there's always the exception to the rule, even briefly. If you were here this morning, I just want to say this. If you were here this morning, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you're not sure yet whether you believe these things, and you have philosophical questions about God and how you can know whether he really exists or not, let me just say that you're actually in the right place. This is a good place for you to be. Because at Res Pres, there's no exp expectation that you actually believe these things this morning. You are welcome to be a guest and a, uh, a, a member of the community and feel like you belong before you actually believe. Please know that and believe that. <laughs> But let me just say this, if that is your story by chance this morning, perhaps you've decided that 
to believe in God requires a faith commitment that you're not yet ready to make. May I humbly suggest, if that's your story, if that's your case, you are actually likely already making a faith commitment yourself. Let me explain. Back in Sunnyside, Queens, my home for the last 12 years, I host a weekly gathering at a local Irish pub where uh, 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 atheists and agnostics and theists are invited to come and sit around a table and have a beer and engage in a civil conversation about life and weighty matters. Uh, I started this actually many years before the pandemic and advertised it as a respectful Christian response to Christopher Hitchens and his, the anti-theist Christopher Hitchens and his book, God is Not Great. And so I invited, I, I invited anybody that wanted to come and have a, have a civil dialogue, you're welcome to come. And one particular man came, and he was an anti-theist himself, and he showed up, and he came regularly. Uh, so much to the point where we actually uh, became really, really good friends. Our families now share uh, very uh, uh, important events, family events together. I consider him actually a very dear friend. Now, at the time when I first started the group, I was the pastor of a local congregation, and it was, so it was, it was kind of designed to, to be a dialogue with those outside of the church, to just start having conversations. But the group had not met since fairly, uh, probably a year or two before the pandemic and had not met since. And so this past spring, I just thought, you know, people are starting to get back together. People probably want to get back together and start having conversations. Maybe they have questions about weighty things of life this side of the pandemic. So I reached out to my friend and I said, hey, I got an idea. Before I was the pastor, I was kind of leading the group and you came and I'd, I'd like to do something different this time. I'd like us to co-lead the group and I'd like us to market it as a, a civil dialogue between an anti-theist and a theist about the weighty matters of life. I said, you know, I just, I'd, I'd like to show Sunnyside that you can actually be diametrically opposed to what you believe and, and about life and God and philosophy and just the weighty matters of life and still have a civil conversation and be friends about it. He was all over it. He was like, let's do it. He said, however, one thing. I said, yeah, what's that? He said, I don't, I don't really consider myself an anti-theist. I said, really? He said, I consider myself more of an agnostic. And I said, hmm. And on the inside, I thought, well, aside from really not just not being as sexy as a theist and an anti-theist having a civil conversation together, I wonder what he means by agnostic. <laughs> so I asked him to find his terms. <laughs> I said, what do you, what do you, so what do you mean? How do you define that? Agnostic. You call yourself an agnostic. Here's what he said. He said that as an agnostic, I mean that I don't believe that there is empirical proof that supports either the existence or non-existence of God. That was how he defined himself as an agnostic. To which I thought, well... This group is now going to be led by two agnostics, according to that definition. Because if you're here this morning, <laughs> and in harmony with my friend's perspective, I agree with you. There is no scientific empirical evidence for the existence of God. 
It doesn't exist. But I would also submit that it actually requires a faith commitment to believe that only a scientific, empirical evidence proving the existence of God is the only thing that matters or is germane to the conversation. I would make the case that to have that position is to make a faith commitment that this world is self-contained. <laughs> and to that, I would respond, how can anyone be absolutely convinced and sure that that is true without a faith commitment? Regardless, Genesis 1 does not start with apologetics. It starts with God's revelation, a different type of evidence. <laughs> you know, the, older, the Older Testament people of God were not struggling at this point in their transitional time, this period, whether they believed that God existed or not. Their concerns were much more about which God was ultimately <laughs> in charge and how did they fit into his plan? You see, they were coming out of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In the desert, homeless, nomadic. And that after being enslaved for 400 years. And so Moses starts by simply reminding them in the beginning, God, your God, the God you worship, the God who rescued you from the hand of your oppressors, that God created the heavens and the earth. My friends, if that's true, <laughs> that is a powerful, steadying truth for a wandering people and for a people in transitional times. But then he continues. Moses continues with some language that the Israelites at this time would have immediately recognized and resonated with. He says in verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Without form and void. The Hebrew actually rhymes. It's tohu vabohu. Functionless. Empty. Formless, unordered, void. The exact same language that's used elsewhere in the Older Testament to describe the conditions of the desert and the wilderness out of which the Israelites just came. The wilderness is a barren place. It's unordered. And that had been the Israelites' experience. Nomadic, homeless, without stability. And God was now bringing them out of that. And as he was doing so, he tells them that this is very similar <laughs> to how all things actually began. In other words, I've been here before as God. Moses is telling God's people that when God starts in verse 3 with let there be, there was already stuff. Stuff that was tohu vabohu, without form and void. That's what God starts with. And furthermore, the word for deep, and darkness was over the face of the deep, was the abyss of the darkest, deepest part of a body of water that an ancient Near Eastern citizen could imagine. If you're a marine biologist by chance, think of the Mariana Trench. 
It's a place when thought about would have roused feelings of unease, <laughs> unrest, angst, and yet God's Spirit is hovering even there. Or even better, as the same Hebrew language is used elsewhere, God's Spirit sort of brooded there like a mother bird over her nest of eggs as they are about to hatch. Spirit of God hovered there. You see what God started with? When he created, he started with a bunch of material mass that he created and started just like a potter would start with a hunk of clay. God starts with tohu vabohu. He creates this in order to fashion something out of it in a way that the Israelite would have understood, in the way that a potter would have understood, in a way that a farmer walking into an uncultivated land for the very first time before a plow had set its way, its course into the ground, Israelites would have understood what God was doing at the very beginning of all things. That's the very first thing we're told about God, the creator. It's the kind of God that he is. He's the kind of God who's able to handle the chaos, the disorder, the void, the wilderness of this life, and bring order and beauty out of it. And like we learned last week from Adam preaching, God is willing to get his hands dirty in the soil and messiness and chaos of our lives and our humanity with the purpose of actually intentionally making and shaping something out of it that has life and worth and even beauty. That's the kind of God, that is the kind of creator that he is. I close with this. I was recently having one of those, <coughs> I'm really tired and want to go to bed conversations at midnight with my youngest son. He, uh, you know, it was, it was about evil and the existence of God, nothing big, nothing, you know, nothing weighty. And he had been uh, recently struggling with some things that had happened in his life, some scary things. And he was observing, making observations about this world and asking questions and wondering how, how is it possible that somebody can be engaged in doing really good things on behalf of humanity and still suffer severe harm and unjust, injustice and pain. The old question, how, how can bad things happen <laughs> to good people? Put aside just theologically, yes, I know we're not all good people. We are fallen. <laughs> Granted. But what he was wrestling with, he knew he was a sinner. That's not what he was wrestling with. He was wrestling with, it seems chaotic. It seems almost random <laughs> sometimes. The type of pain that we, suffering that we experience in this life. And he's dealing with this at midnight. Did I mention I was tired? I want to go to bed. But he wanted to know, Dad, is there 
how do I know that there's a point to all this? Life just seems so disordered and random and chaotic. So I paused. <laughs> I just sat there, felt the weight of what he was feeling, knowing I'd been there, I've been there before. And at first, I just simply said, I just said, Wes, listen, uh, my non-God answer, my non-Christian answer, my just human answer is I would actually prefer to live in a world where even if people knew that just because they did good things doesn't, doesn't mean that bad things weren't still going to happen to them, I'd rather live in a world that people would still do good things and be good and kind and just to their neighbor. I'd rather live in that world. <laughs> that was my non-pastor dad Christian answer. <laughs> and I paused again. And I just simply acknowledged how hard it must be to have be experiencing this realization. And so then I just, I, and I, the whole time, by the way, I'm praying. I'm like, God, I, I know this isn't going to solve everything right now in this moment, but I am so tired. <laughs> I need some wisdom here. I just acknowledged how, how difficult it must be to, to have that realization. And then I just said, simply, I said, Wes, listen, I wasn't there at the very beginning, Genesis 1. I wasn't there. I didn't see it happen. Nobody was. There's no empirical proof that I can show and demonstrate that, yes, God does exist, and he created all things with good reasons, and he did it with intention and with purpose. That does require a faith commitment. But I said, West, I said, I will be honest with you, and this is just how I feel. <laughs> I actually think it takes a greater faith commitment to believe the alternative, or at least one alternative, which is that somehow this is just random, which somehow before anything ever was, before there were any atoms, before there was any material mass of anything, that somehow randomly some atoms got started, and then that created a turn of events, and here we are, many thousands, millions, whatever years down the road. I said, actually, honestly, I said humbly, I think that takes a bigger faith commitment than to think that actually maybe there was something, someone behind it all instigating it. Now, I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you that when I finished that conversation with my youngest son, like all of his questions were answered. He had no more issues with life. He's got everything under control. Everything's great. I knew that wasn't going to solve everything. <laughs> but as I was studying again this passage this morning, that is exactly the claim of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before there was anything, God was and he starts, and we're going to see further next week, he creates with purpose. He's fashioning out of that clay. He's making something out of the void, out of the disorder. And even though there was no human around to see those events at Genesis 1, there were people around to see the events of John 1. The New Testament gospel writer, the apostle, starts his gospel saying, in the beginning was the word Jesus, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and that God 
the one who created all things, actually became flesh and dwelt among us. That God actually not just ordered something out of the disorder and the wilderness of our lives, but actually entered into the wilderness and the disorder of our lives and felt it himself all the way to the cross to its fullest and greatest extent and weight on his shoulders that you and I would never have to walk through the worst of all the wilderness. That you and I would never have to know the displeasure of our Heavenly Father, but only know his embrace as his son, as his daughter. That is the God of the Bible. That is who we know in Jesus. And that's the beginning, the claim that is beginning to be made here in Genesis 1, that no matter how chaotic or unrestful your life is, God is moving with intention and purpose, even in the midst of it, to renew, to redeem, and to recreate. And if that is true, that is true. We need not fret, nor move forward with with angst or fear, for that is a very powerful, steadying truth. Amen. Will you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we ask that you might remind us of several things. One, that we have been called to be your treasured possession. That through the life, death, work, resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, we are now partakers of this grace, of this new kingdom, this new creation. And that you are continuously at work in the midst of our disorder, chaos, in the midst of our angst, our anxiety, you remain faithful to us. Jesus, I do pray that you would show yourself even more mightily present with your people here at Res Pres in the midst of this transitional time. Heavenly Father, be remind us once again that you will be our God and we will be your people. And you will not leave nor forsake us, but that you will move us and be among us, even in the midst of the wilderness, the chaos of our lives. Help us to believe that, either for the first time or the thousandth time, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.